Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends and probably some rando too, but no complaining because this is free. Free. This is beauty and the beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. I recently sat down with my friend Jack, a representative of the Heartland Institute, and we discussed free speech, gun rights, and many other issues of the day. The Heartland Institute is a free market think tank. They're a national nonprofit research and education organization based in Illinois with a mission to discover, develop, and promote free market solutions to social and economic problems. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you will. Check out the Heartland Institute at heartland.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Howdy everyone, Jack Stocker here and welcome back to the Heartland Daily Podcast. Today's podcast is going to be the start of a micro-series I'll be hosting on the Heartland Network, in which I will be interviewing individuals who make up the alternative media. Also called the new media, they can be described as those who, through online subscription or public access media hosting sites, provide content in the form of news, analysis, and opinions. Though in the last year and a half, more and more the alternative media has been facing backlash and even censorship from the social media platforms that they host advertisements and content on. Many of the members of the alternative media make their living off these sites, and this censorship puts their very livelihoods at risk. My guest today is Matt Christensen, whom I consider a friend and is one of the reasons I'm actually even here today, because he actually was one of the ones who inspired me to engage in politics. He is one such person who runs his own YouTube channel as a self-employed individual. So, Mr. Christensen, this will likely be the first time many of our podcast listeners here at Heartland have ever heard of you. Could you give me a brief rundown of what it is you do on YouTube and how you've come to making video podcasts, as well as just your own individual content one-offs? Yeah, well, thanks for the kind words. Very formal as well. I appreciate that. You can call me Matt if you would like, uh, though use of my formal last name is fine, too. Uh, so I've been I've been doing YouTube full time now for going on two years, and the whole thing was kind of accidental to me. I actually started doing this, making hobby video game content that was just silly and stupid, uh, as as something that I did on the side of my real day job. And uh, over time, the video game stuff got kind of stale. I wasn't able to make it, so I, I dabbled in social commentary stuff and it was really around a time like i started doing that you know 2015 into 2016 and it was really around a time where my former political team because i am a former filthy dirty leftist as you are aware and my former political team really started going crazy and specifically on free speech issues and i started watching them uh, sorry my phone's going off that's very bad of me that's Turn a- that silent uh i started watching them turn their backs on the most important values. I've never compromised on free speech, but suddenly I watched these people celebrating Donald Trump getting deplatformed in Chicago or college speakers getting deplatformed. And it really started making me think, uh, if these people are so wrong about what is the most important foundational value for our country, what else are they wrong about? And since then, a lot of my perspectives have evolved. Uh, I, I consider myself kind of squarely in the I don't know, libertarian, classical, liberal camp, whatever you want to call it. People who are liberty advocates, you know, and see a, a limited role, especially for the federal government. And uh, and my perspective has evolved ever since. And and somehow, because the YouTube project has, has gained an audience, you know, that became 
through kind of a year of risk taking and gambling with the money I had saved up to see if I could make this a thing that became successful. So now I do uh, two shorter uh, commentary or opinion pieces on my channel each week. Those are usually about 10 minutes or so. And then I do a long form Sunday night podcast with a co-host and we go for about two hours and engage with the audience and stuff and talk about, uh, talk about the news of the week. We also do a call-in show on Wednesday nights. So, so now this is my full-time gig and I've been doing it for two years. I think the encouraging thing is I'm just as enthusiastic for it now as I was back in July, 2016, when I took the gamble to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Certainly it's been an interesting ride, obviously being, I've been a fan of yours since, about, I would say, early 2016, uh, thanks to, if I recall correctly, it was a plug from a fellow YouTuber by the name of Baring. Uh, oh, yeah. The large yeah. video which he discussed, you and several other channels. And on a whim, I decided to click on a couple of subscribe buttons, and here we are today. Yeah. Yeah, I know you've been around for a long time. Yeah. And I, I will, of the many contributions you've made, I will forever remember the He Will Not Divide Us moment appearing at the He Will Not Divide Us camera. That was, that was pretty cool. That was certainly something. It's It's been an interesting kind of ride myself, obviously. You know, when I became a fan of yours, I actually went to the DePaul event uh, for Milo, in which there That's was right. obviously a yeah. lot of uh, shut. There was a shutdown that happened. Yeah. Then I went to the He Will Not Divide Us. There was there have been a whole myriad of things. I ran into uh, I, I ran into the Westboro Baptist Church and had fun making fun of them because I'm the kind of person who makes fun of everyone who I think is stupid. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it's, you know, it's a good way to live. <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Now that you make videos online, a very common and recurring theme in your videos, obviously, is the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Firearms, firearms rights, all that good stuff. You know, uh, there's a loaded cat in every room. You know, if anyone wants to. Yeah. Video, he did, in fact, where he actually said that exact phrase. I've got uh, some extra cats since then, too. My cat collection has increased. Yeah. You, you, you got a fully automatic cat yet? Or you got to. Oh, no. But still? that'd be great. I mean, I, I ask me my opinions on the NFA now, if you, <laughs> if you want to talk <laughs> about that. But anyway, yeah, uh, proceed. But, uh, you know, obviously you've done that. You've engaged in several Twitter spats of people who have no idea what they're talking about whatsoever. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're very ill-informed on the issue. Now, my th question is, is that obviously we've seen in especially recent weeks and months a lot of pro-Second Amendment, a lot of gun rights and gun advocates and gun channels just in and of themselves see on YouTube a lot of backlash in the form of censorship, demonetization, full removal of some channels – to the point where some of these guys are putting their uh, putting their content on quite ridiculous websites. I won't name them because of holding some level of uh, thin veneer of formality in the discussion. Hmm. But obviously, have you faced any particular backlash on those videos and on those tweets? Or has it kind of been the same as the other levels of demonetization and honestly discrimination you've faced? It's pretty much the same. Uh, but pretty much every video I upload to YouTube is demonetized by default. Then I hit the appeal button. YouTube won't look at it until it has a thousand views or, or, or through seven days. Uh, so what YouTube is really doing, which is frustrating because most of my videos then get approved for monetization after a manual review. So YouTube has said, oh yeah, there's actually nothing that violates policy in here. Put ads back on it. Well, the, by the time they're done looking at it, it has already received probably 80 to 90% of the lifetime views it's going to get. Because you, you post a video to YouTube, most people watch it within a day or two or three. There aren't ads running on it during that time. It's not generating any money. So I haven't noticed anything different about gun content. And really, my, my stuff almost never features guns with the rare cameo for comedic effect, as you discussed. But my stuff is more in the philosophy of the Second Amendment, sometimes the legal issues that surround it. So there's really no reason that that should be 
controversial. That's purely matters of law and philosophy. It's not, it's not uh, any kind of uh, descriptions of how to build guns or how to use guns offensively or anything like that. Uh, I think the, the, the deal with YouTube that's so frustrating is obviously it's their platform. They can do what they want. They can give me the terms that they want for my participation. The trouble is the terms are entirely unclear. I have no idea whether a video will be monetized from the start or not. And there are no clear rules such that I can adjust my content to aim for monetization or not. So it really seems like it's up to uh, the whims of their bizarre algorithms and potentially some guy whose job it is to actually review this. But I couldn't tell you whether a video will be monetized or not, whether it's about guns or transgender issues or free speech or economics or anything. It's, it's purely a guessing game, unfortunately. So really with YouTube, it's, um, you know, it's your platform, do what you want, but I think you'd, be doing your creators a much better service if you spelled out the rules more clearly. Yeah, without doubt, that's certainly something that's been coming up. I mean, uh, another thing, actually, and this will be something I'll be talking about with the person I'm going to be interviewing next week, who I won't mention his name because I want to keep it a surprise. He did a video, and you've probably seen it, Mm -hmm. on a uh, showing that there may actually be a blacklist on YouTube for those who, uh, in fact, you know, espouse right-wing or center-right or let's be honest, non-Marxist, you know, trains of thought. And and that may, in fact, come to be passing. In fact, today, as we talk, currently in, uh, I don't recall exactly where it is, the president of the Holland Institute, Tim Hulescamp, is actually going to be meeting the, I'm sorry, the Honorable Dr. Tim Hulescamp, I should be very (laughs) formal with him, is going to be meeting with several other conservative leaders and Google executives to discuss a lot of the censorship issues that are being faced on the platforms. And well, honestly, it's we've seen all these companies do these things, and they treat this kind of stuff and these content and content creators with scrutiny and hostility, with demonetization and you know full removals of videos and channels, as I mentioned. Yeah. I mean, honestly, do you think that in any way it could come a turn around to be positive whatsoever do you think there's a way it can be fixed uh not the only way it could possibly be fixed is if a is if a viable competitor rises i think the the market is the only thing that's going to fix this the the trouble with youtube specifically is to have outside of their politics it's the same way i feel about twitter i actually really like youtube and i really like twitter outside of the politics of the people who run them and the unfair double standards and different rules for different perspectives that these companies operate with. So the problem with getting a competitor for YouTube is the amount of capital it would take to actually get the infrastructure to run a website that can accept as much video as YouTube does at the speed that it does at the processing power that it does. I just don't know where that money's going to come from at this point, because it's great for me. I can make a 10, 10 minute video in high resolution. I can upload it and have it processed in YouTube in probably five minutes or less. And if you upload to another website, you can still post it. It's going to take longer to process, sometimes hours. And of course, it's going to have a lot less traffic just because there's a lot smaller user base on those sites. So I don't know. I mean, either that or government intervention. I mean, it's going to take a competitor to rise to really hold YouTube accountable and offer better features that people like and force YouTube to offer those features to. Or conceivably, I guess you could have some kind of government intervention where they impose a bunch of rules on on YouTube and Google to try to make them uphold free speech. I would be more skeptical of that. Uh, that would be my 
least preferred option to correct this problem. But I acknowledge that it's going to take a hell. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on your show. It's going to take a lot of money to uh, to 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 bring about a YouTube competitor. Yeah, and don't worry about the swearing. If need be, we have censorship uh, we can do on you because we, obviously yeah. we, we got to do that to you. Yeah, you're used to it at this point. <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, I would agree with that. And in fact, beyond that, there really is only one even minor competitor at this point, and that's what BitChute. And they have only just gotten people to achieve 10,000 subscribers on their system. Yeah, yeah. I saw they're already giving out awards for 10,000 subscriptions. Yeah, the first one went to uh, that guy in Vermont, and the second one went to uh, actually Paul Joseph Watson. Hmm. But um, I'm still waiting on my YouTube plaque. I'm like six months after the fact. Nobody's nobody said a damn thing. Some people take a dang thing from other people I've talked to who've gotten the silver play button. It does sometimes take a long time. So you've at least got that going for you. It doesn't seem like that's necessarily a discriminatory measure. Oh, it's you know, whatever. It's Uh, it'd be cool to have, but I'm not that worked up about it. It looked nice there on the wall behind you. Yeah, I'll put it right up there. For those of you obviously who listen, you should definitely give uh, Matt's stuff a watch. He has a very nice aesthetic background with a signed photo of Milo. He likes to always wear his uh, his his hat for Minnesota. He always likes uh, – and then you've got, what, a signed copy of Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life somewhere that's, back there on your book. That's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Milo, the Milo picture is like a glamour photo of him he was giving out in Cleveland at the RNC. And he was signing them, so it was it was just so silly. I felt like I had to keep that. Like, who else would give out a, a glamour, a glamour shot of himself signed? So I kept that back there. And the and the Jordan Peterson book just messaged me out of the blue one day. I've I've never actually spoken to Doctor Peterson before, but I got a Twitter DM. He's like, "Hey, you want to sign a copy of my book?" And I said, "Yes, please." And then it just showed up in the mail one day. It was really cool. Yeah, that's honestly pretty amazing. I I'd love to get one of those myself, honestly. But uh, you know, back back obviously to the topics at hand. Um. One thing that has come up, obviously, is that surprisingly, you've definitely moved from the left wing. You have. You were a two-time Obama voter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And I think uh, if I had to explain my two biggest shifts, because as I said, I I have not shifted on free speech. That has always been something that's very important to me. What I used to believe, uh, a couple of things, like one would be economics, tax and spend. the The other would be gun issues. So I used to believe and see a much larger role for government in terms of investment. I used to believe that the free market doesn't do a great job of providing opportunity for everyone in certain places. So if the government got involved in, in, in making investment in things like education and healthcare, it would do a better job of providing opportunity in places where opportunity wasn't sufficient. Over time, I've become a lot more skeptical of that, uh, a lot more in favor of market solutions. Uh, in theory and in practice, to be honest. So that's one area that I've shifted. And a lot of that is is based on the way I look at the First Amendment. And if, if I believe in a marketplace of ideas, why would I then ditch those ideals in an economic setting? If you believe it works for ideas, it works for commodities too. So that's kind of the origin of, of how my perspective is shifted on on those issues. On guns, I used to, as someone who was just a reliable Democratic voter and not really a gun enthusiast, like I would, my friends had guns, I would shoot them sometimes, but I didn't really care that much. Uh, I kind of towed the Democratic Party view of like common, common sense gun reform. But the fact of the matter is, I just didn't know that much either about guns or about the current law. And since my perspective has changed on a lot of things, I've taken the time to spend more time with guns, to shoot them more, to understand them more. 
and to and to take the time to understand the current laws that govern them. And I don't want to sound I really hate <laughs> that I believe this to be true, but on the issue of guns because it sounds simplistic and it sounds dismissive of other people, but I do believe it to be true. I think on the issue of guns it is largely a debate and a disagreement between people who understand what they're talking about and people who don't. I think it's mostly that simple. The more information I got, the more um on the I don't know if you'd call it the conservative or libertarian side, the more on the side of, listen, current law is mostly sufficient. In fact, you could even make the case that current law is already an infringement. I think plenty of people do quite pers uh, persuasively. But people, there's not a lot of people I know who are advocating for more gun control, who have a thorough understanding of one, the laws that currently exist and two, firearms themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously I've uh, told you about this one, but I'll say it again, especially for the folks listening at home. I am a political science major over at Northern Illinois University, and at NIU, I had a fun class where people talked about how they could go into a gun store and buy an automatic gun as though it were <laughs> as simple as going into in a— In Illinois, no less? In Illinois. Good yeah. luck. As simple oh, my as God. Walmart and buying, you know, like, a, a, like I don't know, a ham or whatever. I don't know. But I'm sitting here like, you're political science majors. You want to legislate our future. You don't even know what the NFA is. You don't know about the 86 ban. It's it's terrifying that these people want to in any way have a meaningful effect on our on our rights, on our yeah. rights. And I think I think the best thing you can do, and I've done this with a few people now, not people who are like hardcore gun control advocates, but people who are just on the fence and like, yeah, I think it'd be great if we had, you know, a bump stock ban and we had universal background checks and all the list of things that, that these people want to chip away at. You take them to the range for one day. Say, here's a big scary AR-15 or whatever rifle you got. Let's just shoot this a few. Let's, let's shoot a few magazines and just really understand how this operates. One 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 thing I did that was fun recently was took someone out shooting for the very first time. Never shot a gun before. We shot um, a rifle, a five five six rifle, like an AR fifteen, and we shot a twelve gauge pump action shotgun. And it was just amazing to see her reaction that the 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 rifle is the big scary thing that everyone wants to legislate against. Meanwhile. Nobody cares about the 12 gauge shotgun at all. And that thing is pushing her back like a cannon. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, it's just funny. It's like, uh, you know, I don't think that any weapon is inherently dangerous necessarily. Some are situationally more dangerous than others or more effective situationally than others. But you, you really want to talk about how to mess up a school or something. If you, if you are of that mindset, 12 gauge, a 12 gauge shotgun will do just fine. If that is your intent, you don't need a semi-automatic rifle. You can do it with handguns. Nobody talks about those. You can do it with a shotgun just fine, arguably more effectively. Nobody talks about those. So, um, you know, for, pe for people that want to persuade people one at a time, I found that to be really effective. Just let's go handle some firearms for a couple hours and you can just understand how they operate. And, and minds kind of change. Yeah, no, without I, I, that's what I always tell people, you know, most of the crime is with handguns. And yeah. so many of these people who want to legislate it don't seem to realize that. But not only that, there's really nothing that any kind of weapons ban will do to stop school shootings. Columbine was with shotguns and handguns. I mean, also during the prized assault weapons ban that was still in effect yeah, during, you know? during the assault weapons ban. It didn't yeah. really have an effect. And the, the the problem too is that these are tough situations to talk about without a doubt. Like I don't like the idea of a school shooting when I was in school and when the school shootings happened at Sandy Hook, you know, my father came home and he just, he hugged me because he was honestly, 
he just thought of what had just happened, thought mm-hmm. of the fact that families were going home with, you know, Christmas presents that will go unopened. And it oh, was, yeah. these things are terrible and they're tough to talk about, but we need to make sure that we don't let our, our emotions get ahead of the actual facts. Yeah. And, and if, if you accept that that's a reality, you know, if you accept that there are the Adam Lanzas out there or there are the Nicholas Cruises who can and will do harm in any way that they can, of course, I want to rely on law enforcement and where possible, it will be my first response to call 911 and hope for a law enforcement, um, hope for law enforcement personnel to come and, and restore safety. Mm. But there are plenty I, I, of... Con- and Sorry. of the uh, the teachers, the arming teachers, of course, I would honestly think we need to have at least two if we're going to have it happen at all. Yeah. Otherwise, it's honestly not really much of a point. But yeah, the thing is, is that ultimately when it comes down to it, that we need to have those defenses in place. But sure. a panel do. I, I refuse. And granted, the, the possibility of someone breaking into my home or coming to the school of my future children and wreaking havoc with a firearm or any other kind of weapon, very low not very likely to happen point is in the very minimal chance that that ever happened i refuse to be at the mercy of somebody like that now of course if i have a firearm it doesn't guarantee that i successfully take down that person it just means i have a chance it just means i don't have to get down on my knees and beg for my life before a crazy person and i want everyone to have to have that freedom to have that liberty to have that empowerment it's very important an armed society is a polite one let me tell you that (laughs) yeah I heard Joe Rogan talking about that with Coleon Noir. That was a great podcast episode, but he was just talking about how you go to, you know, you go to a gun range where everyone's armed and everybody's yes, sir. Hi, sir. You know, how, how are you, sir? Good day, sir. It's, um, it's very, very polite because everybody could kill you at any given moment. Oh, uh, you, you but, can watch people shoot, but you watch at a distance and for a good reason. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no, I mean, gun ranges are, by the way, they're, they're honestly a very fun. I went to uh, the first time I've gone to one in several years was actually just this year. And it was the first time I'd ever talked to someone who had only ever met online. I'd mm. met through mutual friends with Young Americans for Liberty. Yeah. Basically, that was the first time we ever did anything together, like as friends. And it was awesome. We rented some guns, shot them, you know, because he doesn't, he only has a pistol and I don't have anything yet. Yet. Yeah, I you got to get on it. Actually. But, uh, I'll have to gift you a gun if I can ever, ever get through Illinois <laughs> law. Best of luck with that. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you go to Indiana, you should be able to do it just fine. <laughs> do you have a Foyd card? Of course, I have a Foyd card. So it, you have gone through that. How long did it take to get yours? Out of curiosity. Um, it took thirty days. Exactly okay. thirty days. I heard it was taking because that's the statutory limit, right? I heard it was taking yeah. up to like two months, though. Uh, it shouldn't. You are not supposed to. I've known people who that's happened. Generally, it's rare. I've known people who got in two days. We got in five. We got seven. We got fourteen. Yeah. And there's me. And I'm like, well, because I actually support freedom, I'm probably on some kind of uh, leftist watch list now. Oh, of course. Of and for, for listeners who might not know in, in Illinois, correct me if I'm wrong. The Foyd card is just a, it's a license basically to buy a gun. It's a state issued permit just to be able to buy a gun. Oh, yeah. It's just a straight up state issued permit. It's for the allowance of access to purchase and own a firearm or to purchase and own a, an ammunition as well. Or to even possess ammunition? Yes. Oh, my God. Now, see, this is the thing, you know, for people who aren't even um, big on guns, and I get it, not everybody is. So there's your Foyd card. Not everybody is. But the fact of the matter is the right to keep and bear arms is still a constitutional right, still right there in the Bill of Rights with all the rest of them. So if you really, if you want to have these type of uh, infringements, frankly, 
you need to get the second amendment out of the bill of rights you need to amend the constitution and be honest would you be comfortable any of these people who even if you're not even if you're not a gun person would you be comfortable with a state-issued free speech license i mean my god a a state-issued license to be free from unreasonable search and seizure or something like that wait bro you got a license for that speech yeah the, I mean, you yeah. got to remember that the Second Amendment is just like any other. If you'd be uncomfortable for any with this standard for any other constitutional right, you should be uncomfortable with it as it applies to the Would second. You like the license for the government not to, you know, just sit in your house and listen to everything you say. Right. I will not quarter not troops, and I don't have a license. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, another question, obviously, uh, in regards back to the social media stuff, because that's a huge thing. That's like I've mentioned. We've already, you know. Got people who are talking about it in Heartland who are trying to make things happen, who are trying to talk and discuss it and enact meaningful change. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter, in particular, has been really, really bad in this regard. I've seen people get kicked off of Twitter. We saw YouTube creator, content creator Sargon of Akkad get removed. We saw your actual co host, Rebecca Blonde, yeah. also get removed from uh, Twitter for committing a wrong thing. And you know re- what we just saw uh, recently is a Supreme Court ruling that, or not Supreme Court, a uh, I think it was a just a uh, district court ruling that Trump's Twitter is considered a public forum. Do yeah. you think that might do anything to make it so that Twitter is kind of forced and pigeonholed into providing just an on- honest public forum for everyone to come mm-hmm. on then? Or do you think it's – we got quite a ways to go before we get anywhere? Well, I don't know. I guess I hadn't thought about the reverse angle on that. Like if they have to – if they, if they have to f- – or if they're going to force Trump, if the court orders them to force Trump to unblock people on Twitter, would that have implications for the people who have been banned off of Twitter? I mean, I don't know. I didn't read that case thoroughly. It seems like BS to me. Uh, it's still a private platform. And honestly, I would, as much as I disagree with the way Twitter operates, I would still seek to uphold their right to run their business as they see fit. Though they do toe this bizarre area where they're a private business that is also a very important public platform for speech and communication on the issues of the day or whatever else. But at the end of the day, it is a, it is a private company. I mean, it's, it's up to Twitter and their shareholders to decide how they want to operate it. And they don't have to give Sargon or blonde or anybody else a platform if they don't want to. This is another case where I guess I would prefer to see market solutions to the, to, to correct this as opposed to government solutions. I, um, I, I mean, we've seen Gab make an effort. I actually really like Minds as an alternative social media platform. I uh, have the guy, to... the guy who runs Minds is um is really thoughtful and uh, on being creative with how to make his platform. Uh, just I don't know, just really innovative. But he's also very committed to to free speech. Um, so there are alternatives out there, and I think as Twitter bans more and more people, those those alternatives will become more viable. I certainly think a. a Twitter competitor is a much more realistic option than a YouTube and Google competitor at this point. So I don't know. I don't know whether or not like what the law says about whether there's any legs to this district court ruling in New York or wherever it was about Trump's Twitter. I, I just know that I generally would probably hope not for like a top down government enforcement on Twitter to change its ways. I would agree with that entirely. Ultimately they are private business and I think that we can have these changes enacted without having to force them via, honestly, what is coercion and aggression. Yeah. Though I am going to say I do solemnly think that these companies, and this is obviously the opinion shared also with uh, on the Honorable Dr. Hewelskamp, and generally Heartland as a whole, 
that these organizations, these companies need to kind of do the right thing and mirror the First Amendment on their platforms because that is the right thing to do. It is the way to make their platforms successful. It's what made them successful in the first place. And frankly, it's it would be the moral thing in this situation. Yeah, I and it is it is crucial publicly and without the government being part of it, we can fight for it socially. Yeah, it is crucial to uphold the spirit of the First Amendment as a cultural value. It's one thing I talk about all the time because anytime you have like the Roseanne stuff or the Samantha B stuff or people being banned off Twitter, which happens all the time. Owen Benjamin was another great example of somebody banned like, off Twitter. Stuff you've been doing. Yeah, the the um, you have tons of people saying, "Well, private company, they can do what they want," which I agree. I will say several times, I agree they can. But the point is, if we as a society, if we as a culture aren't um, kind of deferential to one, one another in terms of allowing each other to say, to speak our minds and say what we believe to be true without trying to get you banned, without going after you and trying to get you fired, without doxing you, without trying to punish you socially, then you've really eroded the cultural spirit of the First Amendment. And as soon as you have a culture that no longer values the ability to speak your mind and say what you believe to be true without fear of punishment or, or fear of any kind of, um, I don't know, any kind of retaliatory action. It's not long until the legal standard starts to follow. The famous quote is politics is downstream from culture. But as soon as you believe, as soon as your whole society believes, yeah, if someone says the wrong thing, they deserve a pitchfork mob after them to go ruin their lives. It's not really a far leap at all. In fact, the reasoning follows where you say, yeah, what they said should actually be illegal and they should go to jail or be fined for it. It's not much of a far leap at all. Do you believe people should be punished for speaking their minds or don't you? That's really the question at the heart of it. Yeah, without a doubt, honestly, it, it, it is a social argument because we do need to uphold these values. Another thing, by the way, on the guns, because it is something that recently came up and I only just remembered it. Uh, have you seen the recent ruling by a uh, circuit court on Deerfield, Illinois? Oh, I didn't know. I didn't see that. I'm familiar with the ban, but I didn't see the court challenges. Well, basically, the ban was ruled as unconstitutional by a circuit Good. court, which means that Deerfield now is not able to have the assault weapons ban, which I would like to remind everyone, for those of you who might have seen, because I do believe we did cover it on Heartland's uh, platform, that the politicians were made exempt from their own ruling. From <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't They were know made that. exempt from the ban. They could totally have access to it. And yeah. an assault weapon was obviously classified as a weapon that could chamber more than 10 rounds. Well, that's, isn't that most guns? I mean, depends. I, there's certainly a I lot certainly of handguns and a lot of semi-automatic rifles. Anything that's an AR design or an AK design, yeah. Your rifle sure. after World War One, totally. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it was absolutely insane, and I'm glad it got struck down because it was un, unconstitutional. Yeah, Just, they also um, – that was the other angle on that that someone was explaining to me because obviously it seems to me that the blanket ban had obvious Second Amendment implications. Uh, it seems seems to me – should be unconstitutional on Second Amendment grounds. But I didn't know the politicians were exempt. I did previously know it had exemptions for police and military, active or retired, as I understood. But that, that, this person was making the case to me, and it made sense to me, that that would actually be an equal protection violation as well. There's no police and military exception to the Second Amendment. That applies equally to all citizens. Therefore, you cannot make exemptions for military or police. That doesn't make any sense. Or certainly politicians. That's that's plainly against the spirit of the Bill of Rights. It, yeah, it's frankly unconstitutional in my opinion. Uh, on some level of treasonous, I, I would hmm. I would say treasonous. Well, we got uh, yeah. That's treason is interesting, man. It's the only constitutionally defined crime. 
I, I remember doing some reading on treason like a year ago when people were accusing were they accusing Trump of treason or they everyone of treason yeah this- everyone's treasonous I mean look if you got an R next to your name you you're a traitor you're clearly a traitor to the United States of America apparently I mean it, but I, I see it going the other way around too I mean there's a lot of accusations of um there's a lot of very serious accusations going both ways I I think our obviously neither of us are, are very old but um I mean, I don't remember a time in my life where the cultural split was as significant as it is now. I really do worry that we're in some serious trouble. Well, uh, yeah, and it is evidenced actually in a lot of political research recently that we have ever since the early 90s and onward, especially especially now, though more than ever, reached a hyper-partisan era of in more individualist-based politics. Yeah. Everyone in the house and senate generally just looks at it as being themselves versus everyone else even if they yeah. have a party they caucus with yeah i uh and i don't think it's exclusively one way but i do think it is worse one way i definitely know plenty of people have had encounters where like if they find out that you voted trump or that you're even like thoughtful or nuanced with your opinion on trump that you sometimes praise him sometimes rip him if you basically if you have any opinion other than Trump is Hitler and he needs to be impeached tomorrow, these people won't even be friends with you. Like they won't even go out to dinner with a group with you. They won't associate with you in any way. That's damaging. You know, as much as I am glad that Hillary is not the president, I can still go out to dinner or something with a Hillary voter and and you know and look past it and generally have a good time and not talk politics. Everything is politics with these people. It's really annoying, and that's part of the problem why movies and video games and everything else are getting ruined is because they all have to be political. We can't just have any, or the NFL sports, for example, everything has to be politicized. It can't just be apolitical unifying American culture anymore. It's, it's becoming more and more rare. Well, no, cause that's problematic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that word. But, uh, you know, I'm not thinking about though. There is one person who has an R next to the name who could never be a traitor to America. And I'm disappointed, by the way, because obviously we learned last week that Russell Fagg. At oh, yeah. Geez, by the way, everyone. Yeah. Not win the Republican primary. You're going to have to bleep that one, maybe. Yep. <laughs> Would you like to explain the situation to everyone? Because I, I just find that one too hilarious not to. Oh, bring. it's well, it's just entirely juvenile. I can't explain it as though it's supposed to be like some sophisticated humor. I'm So I'm driving. This actually came to my attention. So backtrack a little bit montana is one of the upcoming um uh contested or or going to be highly competitive senate races in the fall here john tester the incumbent democrat has been in the senate since 2006 made headlines recently you may remember him as kind of the chubby flat top guy in the senate the only farmer in the senate actually he's an organic farmer up in big sandy montana that's actually very surprising now just yeah. a quick aside by the way just to let everyone know matt lives in montana correct yeah i should explain that as well so john tester is definitely a vulnerable democrat because the headlines he was making recently he's the guy that ousted trump's va secretary pick that doctor guy i forget what his position within the navy was but he, he had all these accusations i forget his name even it's not great recollection for me but tester raised all these accusations against him like he was drunk on the job and he mismanaged his his medicinal practices and things like that got the guy ousted essentially based on as far as i understand kind of unsubstantiated hearsay rather than direct evidence so there was a lot of political heat on tester Tester also voted against uh, the confirmation of Justice Gorsuch for, in my assessment, purely political reasons, not because he didn't believe Gorsuch to be qualified or an honorable man, but because he just disagrees with Trump and the politics. So Tester's under a lot of scrutiny in a state that most people view as 
reliably conservative, and that's mostly true, but Montana's pretty independent. We've ha- we have had a Democratic governor forever. Tester's been in the Senate for more than a decade. Montana's one of those purple states that kind of votes... Montana just mostly votes for leave me alone most of the time. Leave me alone, like a, in a libertarian spirit almost. Sounds so, so anyway, the, the, the Republicans are all lining up to challenge Tester in the fall. You got a whole host of candidates. I'm driving to see my parents probably a month ago down I-90, like the main east-west interstate in Montana. And I see signs on the side of the road that are like, kick these lib- liberals out of the senate or whatever you know generic like republican talking points on a sequence of signs and then on the end it says vote fag like f-a-g-g and i get to my parents house and i'm like what is this vote fag like that was that's real is it fog is it like phage Uh, how do this his name can't be fag but then i get home and i start looking into this and i turn on the tv and these ads start popping up in the last month or so Hi, I'm Judge Russell Fagg, and I approve this message. And then he has ads against him. Judge Fagg voted to release violent criminals early. Fagg is soft on crime. And I couldn't believe that these ads were real and that they're being read seriously. Uh, Anyway, to the point you were making, Russ Fagg was up against three or four other Republican candidates. The primary was last Tuesday on the 7th, so uh, a week ago. Um, Or, yeah, a week and a day ago. Uh, or the fifth, not the seventh. And Russ Fag came in second to state auditor Matt Rosendale. Matt Rosendale will now face John Tester in what is going to be a very close race for for the Montana Senate seat in um, in the fall. And who do you think is going to win? Honestly, my my bet is totally on Rosendale. Yeah, I would bet on Rosendale, but I've not seen the polling. I know um, there was supposed to be a debate. The first debate was supposed to be on Sunday, and Rosendale pulled out, blaming the fact that it was on Father's Day. So I was a little disappointed to see him back out of a debate he had already agreed to participate in. Uh, I don't know how I will vote. Um, I tend to, if there's a libertarian candidate that I that I can get on board with, I might vote that way. I don't know that I... Like a lot of the times I end up, the times I've voted Republican, it's kind of preventative because the Democrat is just so unacceptable that there's no way I can tolerate that person being in office, uh, i.e. Hillary Clinton. <laughs> uh, so it's possible that I would support Rosendale. I don't know a ton about him right now, but uh, I'll have to see how I vote. I, I, I would be surprised if Tester does win, though. I would be as well, especially if uh, Rosendale does the right thing and runs on the Trump train. It's that that's his strategy so far. The ads I've seen is just he's, and there you go. Yeah, I mean he's talking about he's he's already got build the wall ads, which um which is interesting because we're not obviously immigration, especially from Mexico, is not a problem here in Montana, but it is something that pulls well. People want border security. Oh, and I wouldn't I totally wouldn't object to having a uh, northern border to keep uh <laughs> well what was the one term I heard of the maple backs out as they just <laughs> um yeah. And after what we've seen recently with the G7 summit, perhaps keeping Canada out of the United States might be a good idea. They might help us. They might want to keep us out. We could just have a, a mutually funded wall. Hey, we can a mutually funded wall. Now we got to make them pay for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So we're going to have to wrap up here, obviously. So we've reached the end of the, uh, the end of the 40 minutes that we kind of allotted for all of this. Though I got to ask you one final question, especially in regards to everything what do you think going forward is the future of guns on on the internet frankly because frankly that, that's what all this is about it's guns on the internet you mean like gun content on the internet or or how so yeah, honestly. like gun entertainment basically 
Gun, yeah, Gun Entertainment, because these channels they get, you know, tens of millions of views. They, oh yeah, on single videos alone. Yeah, as I've gotten more into it and started watching more gun channels on YouTube, as my own interest has increased, I can't believe the numbers, man. I'm like, holy cow, these guys are just rolling in it. For reference for those who might be interested, just go look at a uh, Demolition Ranch and Iraq Veteran eighty eight eighty eight. Yeah, those two channels in particular have all kinds of viewership, and they have pretty good, like they have very good content. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's not uh, it's not undeserved. Like I am g- genuinely entertained by the ones I choose to watch. Like Hickok forty five is one of my favorites. All he has is his little shooting range, and he just shoots like every gun you've ever heard of, every firearm I own. I'm pretty sure I've watched Hickok shoot for twenty minutes at his shooting range, just hitting all these gongs and his two liter soda bottles, laughing the whole time in his cheerful old man way, and it's the best. So I totally understand why people are entertained by this stuff, and that's why I mean. YouTube, YouTube's been kind of sly about this. Like they're not banning these gun channels. They're just like banning their links so they can't sell things. They're they're doing all these like really ticky tack things against them as opposed to like blocking their content altogether. I I don't know why. I, kinds I, of, uh, there's actually certain kinds of demonstrations that they cannot show either. Really? So those would be what, like how to build guns or something? I, I think it would be the specific, uh, it might be gun assembly, disassembly. I don't remember the specifics exactly, but it does make it obviously difficult on, you know, Hickok 45 and Iraq for India, you know, all these guys. And it became a major thing. It was actually like about two months ago, three yeah. months, I think, in like March or April where all this was starting to be enforced. Yeah. I, uh... YouTube might make an incredibly foolish decision and basically ban this stuff outright. I, I think it would be so idiotic because, as we said, the views are in the millions and they're just there's so so much appetite for this content. But that's the same reason I'm not too worried about it. It's the same reason I'm not too worried for my stuff. Like YouTube could ban me tomorrow, or they could ban these guys tomorrow, and it would be a temporary hurdle and it would be very annoying. But there is an appetite for my stuff. There's an appetite for the gun stuff. And where there's a market for that audience, the audience will find it. It's just it's just a question of, is YouTube going to be smart enough to host it and cash in? Or are they going to be stupid and try to do the virtue signal bit and ensure the demise of their own company? Someone will host it. Someone will make money. And the people who want to watch it will find it. And the people who want to make it will make it because there's a market for it. So it's just a question of who's going to be smart enough to do the hosting. I, I hope it's YouTube. Because as I said, I actually like their their infrastructure and their platform. I think it's great. Like it's function is actually great and I don't want to leave it. I just want them to stop meddling and trying to exert political control. That's all. Yeah. Cause let's be honest. The only other alternative we've seen lately is uh paywall content like daily wire and CRTV. Yeah. 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 But I, I want to thank you very much for coming onto the show today, Matt. If you'd like to obviously give people, you know, where they can find you, that'd be totally fine. yeah well my name is a pain in the ass to spell so um my last name is christian like the religion s-e-n so you can find me on twitter and find all my links to everything basically at ml christensen uh if you just want to find me on youtube just google youtube matt christensen you'll find me either way you spell christensen either actually you'll find it either way oh you know that okay yep oh i had to do it both times because uh gotcha. saved as christian son for the longest time oh yeah 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 no it's the danish spelling it's the s-e-n spelling yeah. Yeah. And like I said, thank you for coming. Uh, and yeah, thanks for having me. That's it.